Hello, and welcome to the Big Leads Press Pass Podcast. I'm your host, Liam McEwen, and today with us, we have Travis Sawchick, senior MLB writer for The Score, the free-to-download and widely popular sports media app. Travis, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. This is going to be a lot of fun, I think. Yeah, I think so as well. I'm excited to get started, and it'll be a good conversation about baseball and your path through the baseball media sphere and as always to start i ask you a simple question when was the first time in your life where you realized that writing about sports was what you wanted to do as a career uh yeah it's a great question uh probably as soon as i realized i wasn't going to cut it as a (laughs) you know athlete like many Uh, yeah yeah. uh yeah so i think like a lot of people who probably end up in sports journalism when you're a you're a kid, you, you kind of wanted to be a player, maybe. And then you realize reality starts to set in. And then, uh, you know, I do remember going to, I grew up in Cleveland. So I remember going to uh, Cleveland Indians games here as a kid and looking at the writers in the press box. And, uh, you know, some of them, you know, I followed every day in the newspaper. That's back when newspapers were a thing. Mm-hmm. And you got those delivered to your house. And I thought, all the way back. Yeah, yeah that's, a, that's a pretty cool gig. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, I just heard so many relatives and older people in my life complain, gripe about their jobs all the time. So I didn't want to have this existence where I hated what I did yeah. and kind of re- uh, because I knew I knew going to school. I didn't love some classes. I dreaded going there every <laughs> and or some of those every day. And like, I don't want to dread my existence every day. So what could uh, what could be sort of fun that I could be invested in and enjoy? And uh, so that's loosely how i i got into it i uh that at least planted the seed but I, when i went to ohio state originally i, I wanted to be a, a history professor <laughs> and then i i went to one of the introductory classes and they made a difference yeah I, I got the syllabus and i saw the reading for the semester i'm like i don't know that's a lot of pages <laughs> and a lot of dry material uh, and then I, I went, I just walked into the student newspaper one day as a sophomore, I think. And I asked if I could write something because uh, I was kind of plan B at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought it was too diff- difficult to break into sports journalism, though. So that's why I didn't put the priority list. So I walked into the Lantern, the student newspaper, at Ohio State, and uh, got a couple, you know, unpaid, of course, as they were assignments. But it really it was really cool to see your first byline appear mm-hmm. and. Uh, that kind of got me started on this path and it's kind of a rambling answer, but (laughs) that's sort of the origin story of how I got here. Yeah. I checked all the boxes before we go any further. I do have to come clean. My dad grew up in Ann Arbor and went to Michigan state. So (laughs) while I am from Boston, I was raised to hate Ohio state with every fiber of my being. So we can agree to disagree going forward on uh, the qualities of Ohio state. But um, so you mentioned that, you know, one of the things that initially drew you in was, you know, seeing the writers up at the press box at the Cleveland Indians games was baseball kind of always your focus as far as if you were going to write about a sport that was going to be it for you. Uh. Yeah, it's uh, it was the first sport I was really interested and nerded out on. And my dad was a big baseball fan. My uncles were big baseball fans. So I sort of grew up with that uh, sport. Of course, I played it, too. Uh, yeah, it was in the summers, it was on the radio or on the television. It was following the box scores every day in a newspaper. It was just kind of, I think, unlike other sports, it's part of your daily existence. For If you're a fan, you follow it from the spring and and if your team's in the postseason, you can end up following it like 
which is eight and a half months, nine months out of the year. So it becomes part of your routine. Uh, so I, I always did want to, it's something I wanted to do. It's, uh, but as I got into the field, I learned, well, you can't really just pick your choice beat assignment, or at least most of us couldn't starting out, starting out early. Uh, so it took me a while to get into the actual uh, Major League Baseball beat writing coverage of the sport. But yeah, it's something, it was always at the top of my priority list, but I, I've always enjoyed any sort of game or competition. So I, uh, I covered college football, high school, I broke in on high school sports and you know, there's always great stories to find in mm. anything you cover. Uh, and, I, and I learned that uh, and sort of not being able to do what I wanted to initially, like in my first jobs was, I think, good for growth because you had to kind of expand your horizon and again, look for stories and uh, interesting personalities, trends. Mm. Uh, so it, I, kept, I think it forced you to kind of force me to kind of grow as a storyteller and a re- reporter, which was good and get out of that baseball kind of silo of sorts. Uh, but yeah, I eventually got back to it and I've been covering baseball only pretty much since 2013 now. So yeah, it feels like, it feels like a while. Uh, has been a while. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this last year feels like a decade. So 2013 <laughs> feels like 30 years ago. <laughs> what was your first byline at Ohio state about? Oh, uh, you can remember. I, yeah. I, I think it was, um, I didn't get the choice beat. You know, everyone wanted the, the football beat. Men's basketball was second. And usually that was like a senior. I think those beats were tied to when you got into journalism school. Some of the classes were tied to the student paper. And usually the seniors in the upper level cl- courses were getting the, the best beats, which, you know, it's, was fair. But I think my first byline was in men's gymnastics. <laughs> so, oh, wow. Right. Yeah, something, uh, hey, go do this. And okay. Uh, but yeah, it was still cool to, uh, to do that. And, you know, I should probably go double check the old archives, the personal archives and see if that's true, but it was some, it was something very, uh, uh, it wasn't glamorous, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, but even being in that world, uh, yeah, they're great athletes. So there's, uh, it was interesting to be exposed to that world a little bit too, but eventually as a senior, I was. I was one of the couple guys in the football beat and that was cool. Uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, I think one of the nice things about student paper there is you kind of got your hand, you got a sense of what the job was really going to be about once you got in the real world, which mm-hmm. I did appreciate. It was kind of real world education. You interacted with the actual coaches, athletes that you would if you were you know, a professional beat writer. So it wasn't just a theoretical exercise in a classroom it was good to I liked the arrangement there where your coursework was in part tied to uh getting out there in, in the you know in the field uh so that no matter what you're covering so I did like that yeah for sure and one of the interesting things is that uh you're one of the only guests I think I've had on this podcast who went to a gigantic sports school like Ohio State. <laughs> and so you just spoke a little bit to like how it prepared you for the real world but just in terms of the enormity of like working in Ohio State football beat how exactly did that help you prepare for the next stage in your life? Yeah, those, uh, yeah, I, I mean, it was sort of, when you go into those first like Tuesday morning head coach press conferences during the season, and there's literally like 200 reporters in there, it's uh, pretty intimidating. And, uh, and if you do get a question, you don't want to sound like an idiot in front of the room. So you have to kind of learn, 
<laughs> just learning to get over that. Uh, it's sort of like public speaking. I think a lot of people are intimidated by it. So as much as you can force yourself to ask, uh, you got to ask questions. You got to put yourself out there in front of people. Uh, so that was, that was a good learning experience. And just in the competition, how many people wanted to be in this field, uh, how tough it was to, uh, whether it's the top of the local pyramid or national pyramid, you know, to work your way up in the industry, you got a sense of, wow, this isn't going to be very, <laughs> this isn't going to be easy. There's a lot of people that want to do this. Uh, so that was kind of eye opening too, because I think if you are in a smaller beat or you start, uh, you'll be the only person at a game or practice. You can, people want to talk to you. <laughs> people want to get some press coverage, but uh, if you're getting that exposure early to Ohio state football, it's gigantic beast was, uh, was good. It was a good perspective offering. And it's sort of in for, you know, if you want to make it in this field, like anything, you're really going to have to, uh, work hard there's probably somebody working harder or has better connections or whatever it may be so it's not going to be an easy climb so to do it you really have to want to do it you have to pour yourself into it and like any profession it has to be uh i don't think you can check out after you punch out at five o'clock you got to be studying uh looking at people who you respect how do they work what what goes into their craft and so in my 20s i was really trying to look at writers who I respected, try to mimic some of their style in ways I could. Mm -hmm. uh, how do the top beat guys I was around handle themselves on a beat and that sort of thing. So yeah, I think just being at that gigantic, getting back to your question, just being at that gigantic school uh, it gave you a sense of, okay, this is sort of what a, a top, the Ohio State beat, you know, that's one of the top college beats in the country. And you saw what a, what a monster that was and uh <laughs> and what readers demanded too uh they want to know everything and i think that was right when the recruiting stuff was really taking off and like the rivals websites and that sort of thing so kind of a long, another long-winded answer but yeah it was good to see that uh the monster beat at an early age and just get a taste of it long-winded answer is the point of the podcast <laughs> right uh you right. You mentioned when you were in your early 20s, you were looking at other beat writers. Was this when you were still at Ohio State or was this at your first gig out of college? Uh, I mean, there, it was kind of fun to see some of the people I only knew in byline form in person when I first got in the, uh, whether it's Rusty Miller with the AP or, uh, you know, guys like that who I, who I had read but had never met them. It was kind of interesting to I don't want to call them heroes, but you meet people who you kind of looked up to for a long time or read their stuff. Uh, but yeah, then as I got in my early jobs, I, uh, you know, it was who are the best people in the industry? Uh, Gary Smith for writing a profile story. Okay, so I'm going to try to read as many Gary Smith stories as I can. Who's the best speed writer? Who's, you know, who's the best at that? So I would try to uh, read as much of their stuff I could. And what do they do that's well? Oh, what's effective and uh you know i mean i think most people would agree that gary smith was the top if not the best uh, you know one of the best profile writers and it just the amount of detail he extracted in interviews and you know obviously he was not he was spending a lot of time with his subjects and he was not writing very often so he could afford to pour everything he had into these stories but uh yeah i i just remember okay you really have to what, what goes in 
So he's getting these details. Well, how does he extract them? What goes into a good question? And try to understand that process a little better when you're sitting down with someone you're interviewing. Uh, so yeah, I tried to, I didn't have like a scientific process about it. I just said, okay, these are the best people. What do they do? Uh, <laughs> and, and try to mimic their writing and infer at least what their reporting must be like. And now in today's age, you could probably go find a YouTube channel and say, okay, here's a master class, or here's what I, here's what the experts, here's them going through their craft. It wasn't quite as easy back in 2003, 2004, uh, but we still Google. So that, that was helpful. Uh, not that you're going to copy their exact skill set because that'd be impossible, but what could you borrow from them? What can you add into what you think you do well? And uh, really just writing every day too is such a big deal. And yeah. I would say uh, to young people out there who might be listening, uh, whether you're on the broadcast side or the written side, uh, just get, getting in the habit routine as much as, as possible, I think is so important for building any skill and writing and reporting and, uh, you know, broadcasting is no different. So those were kind of my early focuses. For sure. What was your first gig out of college? It was uh, Rocky Mount Telegram, North Carolina. And uh, <laughs> I didn't really want to move that far away from you know, I grew up in Ohio and Ohio State, really never, other than family vacations and spring break, I'd really never <laughs> left. So that was, uh, and it was a whole different, I mean, you're still in the United States, so it's not that much of a culture shock, but for, <laughs> for 22 year old me or 23 year old me to go, uh, you know, 600 miles away and cross a Mason Dixon line, that was, that was interesting. And that, that was tough to take that first step because I, it was kind of that balance of, is your career more important or is, you know, staying around your friends and family more important? Mm -hmm. uh, so, and that was a kind of a tough decision, but I said, well, I really want to do this. And uh, it's tough to break into this industry. And this is, this is back when newspapers were still kind of a viable, uh, I think career path where uh, the equivalent was like minor league baseball or, okay, you go start off, you end your amateur career college, and then you enter rookie or low A ball, you get a small daily newspaper. Then you jump up to high A, a slightly bigger market, slightly bigger than double A. And then the, you know, the major leagues was a big pro beat at a Metro daily newspaper and that sort of thing. So that was kind of how I envisioned my climb. And Great, Great metaphor. <laughs> and uh, yeah, Rocky Mountain, North Carolina, the telegram there, that was, uh, that was low A ball for me. Like, well, okay, I got to pay my dues. Got to go down there. Mm. Uh, and I wish, you know, like so many people, I was able to start off at a higher rung. But what's interesting is actually I made some great friends there. And it was fun because it's a bunch of young people, all hungry, all getting started, a lot of us away from home. So there was a, a cool bond that a lot of us forged there. And whether you're reporting at a, for a large paper or a small one, there's still a lot of the things are the same. Do you ask good questions? Uh, can you meet your deadlines. Uh, can you spin an interesting, can you, can you write an interesting piece, that sort of thing? Can you, uh, whether if you're writing a game story, can you extract the most interesting elements from this and, and uh, you know, boil that down for readers? So all that sort of stuff is the same. Uh, it's just kind of building those skill sets out. So even though I sort of dreaded going, moving away and going to this small paper at first, it 
turned out to be, you know, a really good experience. And, uh, you know, I eventually moved up the ladder. but yeah, that was that was kind of like the leap of faith. Do you want to do this or not? And I wasn't going to stay there forever. It's like, okay, let's try this for a few years. And if it works out, it does. If not, I'll go back with my tail between my legs and try something <laughs> yeah. else. But uh, I at least had the confidence to go down there and, and get out of the comfort zone and uh, you know try something new. And it was much more diverse. I was, you know, I did not grow up in a diverse area, a suburb that was you know ninety six percent white probably, and uh, so. North Carolina, much different demographic, much, I met a lot of people who had much different backgrounds and experiences from me. And that was, I think a big deal that, too, that was eye-opening. Uh, uh, so yeah, there are a lot of benefits, some intangible, some tangible from, from being down there. Were you ready? Pay, oh. pay was not one of the benefits. <laughs> but, <laughs> never in this industry, I think no. everybody accepts that, but that's fine. We're about, yeah. It's like what you said earlier. We're not trying to live in existence where we hate going to work every day. So I know that's one of the trade-offs, right? Yeah, the trade-off is that we're not making <laughs> hundreds of thousands of dollars, and it is what it is. Right. Yeah. Are you writing about baseball down in Rocky Mountain? Uh, and <clears throat> uh, it was some amateur baseball, high school. We were close enough to Raleigh-Durham, Chapel Hill to cover some college baseball and stuff too, which is a bigger deal down there. And we had a local, the the Florida Marlins AA affiliate was in the area too. So that was my first exposure to minor league, you know, covering professional baseball, which I really enjoyed. And in the summer, I tried to take on as many of those assignments as I, I had. I think Miguel Cabrera had just graduated and moved up to the majors when I was there. So yeah. The Marlins were, they had a good system then. So it was cool to go down there and uh, experience some of that. So yeah, that was my first taste of covering professional baseball and seeing the minor league lifestyle uh, and interviewing those guys in a clubhouse setting, which, uh, which, which would, at the time, the Marlins double A clubhouse was just like a mobile unit behind <laughs> you know, the, uh, the scoreboard. I, I think even... Yeah, I think even the minor league players nowadays have typically better facilities than that. So, yeah, that, that was my first experience. So that was, that was a, another benefit of being in Rocky Mount. And then what happened to you next? What, that, what was the next step you took in your career? Uh, next step was uh, going down to uh, Myrtle Beach Sun News, a slightly bigger market. It was, again, a preps-focused beat uh but it was about three times the circulation size. So it was a good jump. Uh, and then I, I went from preps to covering Coastal Carolina, which was a small division one school, which at the time felt like a big deal. Uh, so, you know, that was a good experience too. And then it was off to, uh, I kept moving down the coast in the Carolinas. Charleston posted courier was my next job. And that was really my first big break where I got, uh, was on the Clemson beat there. So, a, you know, a large division one beat for a, a paper almost a hundred thousand circulation at the time, which was a big deal for me anyway. And uh, I was there for Dabo Sweeney's first full first couple full seasons. Uh, <laughs> and so that was, of course, football focused. So it really wasn't until 2013 and the Pittsburgh Tribune Review called. Initially, I had interviewed for the Steelers job there, uh, which had opened up, and you know I'd sent my college football clips up there and. I was a finalist for a job. I didn't get it, but then they were looking, I think it was a year later, they were looking to expand their 
their baseball coverage and uh they call it about a hybrid beat kind of backup beat writer enterprise position focused on major league baseball and that was like you know that was still my dream to do that uh so yeah i went uh, i was super excited to get that job and move back closer to home and all sorts of things mm-hmm. uh and it was, but, but it was leading into that job where I, uh, my hot, while I wasn't covering baseball, my hobby was, one of my hobbies was fantasy baseball and competing with my friends and stuff. And to try to get an edge, I started getting into the sabermetric side, which was oh, yeah. kind of still a niche thing at the time. And I was buying my first baseball prospectus annuals and getting into like the advanced stats, which my friends weren't using at that time. I'm like, okay, how can I get an edge on my friends playing fantasy? Uh, But I got in this whole, this whole new world of understanding baseball and performance uh, and at a different level and a a whole new world opened up to me. So when I went to Pittsburgh, I sort of took this traditional reporting background I had gathered over about 10 years, uh, nine, 10 years in the Carolinas and this interest in uh, kind of objective sabermetric nerdy analysis. And I kind of blended those two together on the beat when I got there. And that's kind of how I ended up where I am now. So it's really, uh, I guess that's another thing I would, I would say to young people is it's good to, uh, if you can develop some sort of expertise in a subject area, I think there's really important reporting bedrock tools and skills you need too. But if there's something, if there's a area of uh, whatever field it is, science, you know, politics, sports, whatever it is, if there's something that you're really super nerdy about in that field, it's good to, if you can become sort of an expert voice in a a niche area, that can be really beneficial too. And I think that helped me develop my own voice and different approach and different lens on things in Pittsburgh that served me well, that led to uh, some of my other stops since then. Be right back with more gold after a word from our sponsors. Okay, so here's a question for you, Travis. It's very interesting to me that you mentioned, you know, having blending sabermetrics into like a traditional beat reporting style. So when you got to the Pittsburgh Tribune, how did you manage to do that while still feeling like, because I know you said, you know, those sabermetrics gave you a better understanding of baseball, but in order to combine that into a beat job where you also are catering to an audience that you know, 10 years ago, probably didn't really care about the finer stats that you could pull out. And even nowadays, people still are, you know, it's very, a very somehow divisive topic. How did you find that challenge, especially as a backup beat writer instead of like the main guy? Yeah, uh, great question. And, uh, you know, like one of the first stories I integrated that, and remember, this is 2013. So baseball was a little, little different then. Uh, The Pirates were just starting to use well, they were one of the early teams that went all in on defensive shifts. So they went from using very few of them to on most of their plays, you know, they were swinging in and having three infielders on one side of second base. So, you know, I had written, I was familiar with the topic. I'd read, you know, the rationale and the data behind it. So I thought, okay, this is interesting. So I, so in a piece I wrote about their decision to use a strategy, you know, I backed it up with data and everything, but I also, interviewed some of the uh, people who uh, kind of brought the history of shifting. Who's, where, who is gathering the data? What company? Who is 
I put a face to some of the people who had brought this into baseball, some of the people in the Pirates front office who are advocating for it. I gave some background on them. So I tried to blend in some of this human element background story uh, on the actors behind this movement coming into the sport. And of course, I talked to some of the players about, hey, you know, go, what was the process like going to this alien position that you've never played at on before in the field and that sort of thing? Uh, what's it like as a pitcher to go into this? But uh, yeah, I sort of, and I try to do that as often as possible. Okay, here's a kind of this nerdy math concept, but let's put some human faces to it and ex explain the, uh, the people who are behind it or the psychology behind it, why it's effective and blend that intersection of math nerdy stuff and a human interest story as much as I, as I could. And I found that to be effective. Yeah, it seems like you managed to find that balance pretty, you know, pretty well, because that's the best way to be able to do it, especially in the medium like a newspaper where it's a lot of, you know, loyal readers who are kind of showing up and expecting everything to be generally consistent and the same. And then you come in with this new stuff, but you blended in with the old stuff. Was that a balance that you found, you know, almost immediately or was there a little bit of a figuring out process for you? as far as <laughs> being able to put that together? Yeah, I think uh I remember Buster Olney, ESPN, longtime baseball reporter. He said he always tried to write in a way that his mom would explain it or understand it. Uh, so that always stuck with. And not to insult all mothers, you know, sports college, because there are some moms who are super uh, wonky about sports and really into it. But, I, or maybe another way of saying it is just think about who your uh, baseline audience might be and make sure they can understand it. So I, I think it's good to. Uh, I think you want to share what you've learned with an audience. And if you're not learning anything, it's probably not very interesting. Uh, so you, I think it's okay to challenge an audience a little bit to present them with something new, but it has to be communicated super clearly mm -hmm. and, and in, in a relatable way. Uh, so I think that's the balance. Like academic papers are so boring. Uh, but they're for an audience that's in that field. So you don't want to present new information that way, but how, uh, and maybe you only use 20% of what you've, uh, you know, learned in reporting or on the trail or in data research, but yeah, that balances, it's a, it's super important because you'll lose people, you lose an audience. So you do have to think about, okay, who's reading this? How much can I throw at them? Uh, but also challenge them just just a little bit. And uh, that, that's kind of been my methodology. I just kind of arrived at it sort of. Part, I still remember that Buster Olney. I don't know if it's from an interview or where I read that, but uh, that's always stuck with me. And uh, yeah, I think it's okay to challenge people, but just do it in a way that it'll, it has a good chance of being absorbed. Did you ever get any pushback on that whole idea? <laughs> I mean, there's, there's always traditional minded people who, uh, who hated band stats and anything. Uh, there's always people pushing back against tradition. Mm -hmm. You're never going to please everyone. But uh, the thing is that it's actually happening. It's influencing the game. You're seeing it play out. So it's not just theoretical, it's happening. Uh, so whether you agree with it or not, I think it's, it's good to share that. Uh, and yeah, there's all, I remember I had to, exp every story where we used wins above replacement, there had to be like an explainer paragraph about <laughs> what it was. And I think we're sort of beyond that now, but I remember like, man, I really need to save this as a, like an F6 function key on my keyboard. So I don't have to write this out every time. Uh, yeah, there's, there's some pushback from readers and whatnot, but 
there are, there's also part of readers who are like, wow, this is really interesting. Give me more of this. Or, you know, this is more the younger audience, but yes, there's someone finally writing about this in Pittsburgh. So there's the audience is sort of fractured around that subject in general, uh, which is why you had to approach it very delicately. But yeah. we, I think it was mostly successful. I mean, looking at it sort of big picture back in 2013, that's pretty, I think I would be comfortable saying that's before, you know, this whole concept of sabermetrics and baseball became like a mainstream idea, however you want to view that word and what that means. And now here we are eight years later and like ESPN top stories will feature five or six sabermetrics that they've dug up from obscure stats that nobody knows and everybody kind of accepts that. Like, what is that like for you as somebody who was kind of early on that train to see this become such a, so much bigger than it was less than a decade ago? Yeah, uh, I guess, I mean, it is, it's cool to see because I think it shows how, uh, you know, the, the understanding has improved, the acceptance levels improved. And <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I thought this would happen eventually. It might have, I think it picked up uh, more quickly. I think a lot of the trends have accelerated more quickly than, than I thought, mm. uh, especially from an acceptance standpoint. So it, it's, it's cool to see that as a writer who is, you know, who's, not that I was a pioneer, but maybe early on, from a beat writer standpoint on the earlier end of accepting it. So I'm glad to see that's happened. I think it just shows over time, if you keep giving readers a little bit of information and uh, keep, uh, if you keep educating yourself and by extension, educating readers, slowly that acceptance builds up. And I think that's, that's what we've seen in like anything else. So uh, it's been great to see that. Now, as a writer, it's challenging because all the low hanging fruit of the early sabermetric <laughs> era is gone. So you really have to, uh, you have to keep adapting like, okay, what is, what new tools or what new things are out there? What new trends are there that, that I can share? So that part has become more challenging, but uh, selfishly, <laughs> but from a macro level, like pushing this forward. Yeah. It's pretty cool that uh, I think most people who turn on a telecast or read a story have an under have a general concept of, what war is okay. It's trying to boil whether they agree with it or not. They understand what it's getting at. And the idea that, okay, maybe batting average and ERA aren't the best way to evaluate players. So the fact that we've come that far since 2013 is, uh, is pretty wild. And I think even like hall of fame voting, uh, you know, Jacob deGrom's got, I think 72 wins right now. And 15 years ago, people were like, Oh, this guy's got no shot at the hall of fame. But now I think there, you know, there's a lot of feeling that, yeah, he might already be a candidate or he doesn't have to do much more. Well, I mean, you know, this. how could anybody watch Jacob deGrom do what he's doing this year? <laughs> one of the best pitchers to ever step on the mound is a mystery to me, even if the yeah. man's sadly wasting it. But uh, one of the other questions I had for you is, you know, we talked a lot already about, you know, the sabermetrics and how you built that into stories. How did you balance doing that with your re basic responsibilities as a beat writer for the paper as far as just kind of giving the people what they want in terms of like game stories and personal you know face stories and stuff like that right yeah that was still much more about okay let's uh what can i give a reader that they couldn't find in a box score on the telecast because so many people are i mean the game store is really endangered especially today and i, I think even like the athletic doesn't even really write game the writers don't really write game stories anymore so is okay, what well, can we find in the post-game clubhouse that is interesting? Can we set a scene, set a mood? 
try to extract some emotion from a player, you know, what went into the performance and also try to add some uh, analysis like, okay, these are the three, I try to boil it down to like, okay, three important things from the game. What can it tell us something more about, uh, you know, what was important tonight that happened and try to spin it forward as much. Uh, like what did this performance mean? Uh, does a slump matter? Is this some, you know, this, this new pitch, was it effective that this pitch mm-hmm. was trying out tonight? That sort of thing. And uh, so that was sort of a blend of, you know, let's try to find an interesting anecdote, often rooted in the post-game clubhouse uh, or something crazy that happened on the field. And let's try to spin it forward at some, a couple big things that happened in the game. Uh, and if we were, if I was still in that job today, probably I would look at it even more differently. And I wouldn't even, I'd be less concerned with any play-by-play aspect of that, that sort of thing. So, but yeah, there wasn't a lot of sabermetric detail in that or uh, like in the notebooks I wrote, I might've, you know, I would use some analysis like that, but uh, you know, notebooks were still very traditional. Okay. Let's check in on some injury updates and, and that sort of thing. Uh, so that part of the job was more traditional. I think uh, the most, the most different part was just trying to think about how to write a game story differently. But uh, yeah, more the, the Sunday enterprise stuff was where I tried to uh, bring in more the, the blend of that intersection of human interest and wonky nerdy stuff uh, that people weren't doing. For sure. And so then to take us all the way full circle here, how did you go from the, uh, the tribune to the score? How did that happen? Uh, so the Tribune Review was family owned, uh, and and then the the owner was a wealthy, uh, wealthy older gentleman who who passed away. And once he was gone, uh, the you know the children inherited it; they didn't want it. So a lot of issues on the the back end happened. And for for the staff, it meant a bunch of layoffs. Like I remember, so is it a I can't remember what day of the week it was, but like half the staff was laid off. We went from like 200 to a hundred person newsroom. And I was like, wow, uh, this is very uncomfortable. Yeah. And this is 2016. Yeah. 2016. And of course, the newspaper industry had been kind of circling. <laughs> uh, it'd been the sort of death spiral for a while where it just seemed like advertising revenues keep declining. So we keep cutting staff everywhere. And then the quality of the product keeps shrinking, ad revenues keep declining, and Facebook, Google, and Craigslist, and all these mega companies taking more ad revenue. So it just these macroeconomic trends that had nothing to do with journalism were hurting the bottom line. But then they started to hurt the headcount, which hurt the journalism. And I, I thought this is just not going anywhere good. So I started to look else. After that happened, I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't want to be here for the. Uh, for the end of this ride. So I'm going to start looking elsewhere. And at that, uh, you know, I'd become a little more known as this, Hey, here's this newspaper guy who uses advanced stats. That wasn't really a, a thing then. So mm-hmm. that allowed me to get in the door at fan graphs, which was, if people aren't familiar with it, it's a baseball analytics website. Uh, it's a great resource for uh, doing any sort of baseball research. And of course there's a journalism media aspect to it too, where it's analyzing baseball every day. So I went to Fangraphs for a few years, the athletic also during my time there, the athletic got up and running and I did some, uh, 
freelance. I was a contributor for the Cleveland site. And then in 2018, I, uh, 5.38 reached out so i kept going nerdier <laughs> i kept going down this data data path and i actually by when i was at vanguard 538 i started to feel like wow i kind of got i'm getting a little too far removed from traditional journalism because i still liked storytelling yeah. and human inter and interviews and that became less a must part of the job which i didn't really i did it at times but it wasn't a requirement uh typically so i, I sort of uh drifted away from that a little bit. And then, you know, and for, uh, I'd never been laid off until December, uh, 2020 and you know, 538 is owned by Disney and Disney of course is, you know, parks were closed, really got hit hard by COVID. So, so there are a bunch of layoff rounds last year and I got cut up in the last one, which was, you know, quite a bit of a jolt. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, uh, that's not where you want to be, of course, especially in media, but, Luckily, the score reached out, and I think in this role I have now, it will be sort of back, almost like what I was doing at the Trib for Sunday Enterprise, where I'll be blending more traditional storytelling with some of the analysis I've been become known for. So I'm really excited to be in this this new role, and uh, it's coming a little bit back more toward to my roots. I think where it's good to have the data skill set. I think in any journalism job, data and understanding it is more important than ever. Uh, I mean, even if you aren't in sports, uh, if you were in any reporting role last year, COVID was a big part of every story. So you had to understand uh, there, there's a lot of statistical understanding to, to read a chart, to understand tests versus cases and all sorts of things. Uh, so I think having some data literacy is important in any job now. But uh, just personally, it's, I, I want to find that balance again where I'm, Whenever I'm allowed to go back in a clubhouse, I'm really looking forward to that and just more of that one-on-one -on -one interview. I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to do, doing those again. And I think, you know, I'm, I'm excited to have that in this job. Certainly. And you were just speaking about, you know, kind of the content that you did and how that changed since you left the newspaper industry. But looking at it just from the perspective of, you know, until 2016 or whatever, a lifelong newspaper guy, you shift into an online only medium. What was that like for you? <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, I mean, I'll also be a little romantic about newspapers. I still like holding the printed page in my hands. And I, I still think that's the most interesting way to, uh, the most enjoyable way to read something. And there's also something too, where if you're reading a newspaper, you're not just selecting only things you want to read. You see the other headlines and things you, that might have not occurred you, to you to read. So I think that is kind of leaving us for better and for worse. And I, I think we're all a little more polarized because of that. But uh, yeah, going to online only, it wasn't a huge culture shock because by that point, all our printed stories were online and uh you know, I was used, I mean, sometimes I was working on a deadline at night with the game story or whatnot, but I was used to churning out the enterprise stuff too, which wasn't, you know, as was deadline oriented, more of a project, more planning. Uh, so, you know, it wasn't, wasn't a huge culture shock for me. I, it, it was, it is kind of weird to go from the Pittsburgh Tribune review and to 538 in a few years. That's, that's an unusual path, but uh yeah, it was, I, I think the kind of writing by that point, uh, it, it sort of transitioned well, the, the Sunday enterprise stuff trans, trans, transitioned well to the, 
to the online jobs I had. So I, I think for other folks, it might've been more of a kind of an extreme mm. shift in expectations, especially if you're, a, I think if you're an, a beat guy who is used to just doing your notebook and game store every day, and now you're expected to be publishing any news item has to go on the web immediately. And that sort of, thing. I think that's where the, uh, the lifestyle would have changed a little more dramatically. But for me that, I experienced some of that, but it wasn't my uh, ever my primary uh, focus. I really haven't been, you know, I haven't expected a. My, I mean, a, you always want to be looking for for a new story that you could have ownership of, but breaking news hasn't been part of like my core job uh, requirements. So that it hasn't been as much of a as a shift. Is breaking news something that you thought you would have to do or want to do at some time in the future? Uh, it's, I mean, my experience with it as a beat writer, uh, like it is a great, if you get a scoop, even a small one, it's, you know, it's a great thrill, right? It's a, yeah. it's a great endorphin rush, but it's also like, uh, that is a big, that is all about who is in your phone, who is in your, so, you know, I guess Rolodex back in the day, they say it's all about relationships and uh, the, the fear of is your uh, competition going to have a story before you. <laughs> so uh, I haven't quite lived in that space for a while. And there's a lot of anxiety that's part of that. Like you have to be wired for that because that is a competitive arena. Uh, so we'll see. Maybe I'll get back to that a little bit. But yeah, that is. Uh, you, you experience a whole range of emotions when you're the scoopy versus the scooped. And so <laughs> uh, I, I do, uh, maybe I'll get back there. I mean, uh, we'll see how this role unfolds, but yeah, it hasn't, uh, since 2016, it's really been more about ideas, profiles, trend pieces, and that's kind of a, you know, a different genre in the field, but uh, one I, one I enjoy immensely. For sure. Is there any, so the way you've been describing it to me is that you do some, you know, small pictures, some medium picture and some big picture stuff as far as your overall body of work. And now that you're at the score, is there anything in particular that you'd like to focus on in the, the coming weeks and months as far as what you're, you know, I know you said you wanted to get back to more of like a combining storytelling and saber metrics rather than leading all in on one or the other, but in terms of, you know, just kind of what you're looking to do with the score, kind of what's your vision of how the next couple of months are unfold for you as far as your own stories go. Yeah, I think, uh, I think the idea is to have some larger projects kind of you're chipping away at them on the back burner mm -hmm. uh, and they might be published weeks from now or months from now, but you're always kind of chipping away at them, thinking about them. And then on the front burner, you have the more immediate, uh, like if there's a big trade or transaction, you know, they're, they're going to expect me to have some sort of analysis or thought on it, or uh, what's an interesting take we can have on something this week. Uh, and, you know, a lot of them so far have been informed by uh, data because I can, <laughs> that's, that's in part why they hired me and that's what I've been doing. And uh, I like putting objective numbers next to an argument. Otherwise it's just kind of bullshit and it's talk radio. So I uh, strengthen an argument that way. So there's been some of those quicker turnaround front burner pieces, whether they're quick analysis or uh, kind of identifying an interesting thing going on in the game. And then we have some bigger projects cooking on the back burner. And uh, 
you know, I don't, I don't think there's, I mean, we have some, there's expectations, of course, uh, but we're also, I don't know if there's a lot of hard and fast rules right now either. We're kind of seeing how it evolves naturally. Uh, and like with any place, you're going to have, it's not just about the writer. There's the editors, there's, there's uh, 538, there's, there's a great graphics team. Uh, so it's how do you fit in well with the other strengths of people around you? And uh, so that's another thing um, that you, I think, uh, to be part of a strong team like I am at the score, 538 was great too, because uh, that makes the product better in the end. So, yeah, we're, uh, but yeah, just to get back to the point, I think to, uh, to be back in a, at a spot where they value traditional reporting, storytelling, and data is exciting. It's kind of a perfect place to be for me right now. So uh, looking forward to seeing what we can put out here the rest of the season. Yeah, it does seem like an ideal marriage of all the talents that you've accumulated over the course of your career and the experiences. And now you have the opportunity to mesh it all together. And I think it's really exciting. Now, yeah. when you look back over the course of your career, I have two questions for you. First and foremost, what's something about, you know, your job that you feel like other people don't know or they don't really understand? Uh, as like a reader who uh, the, the, the sort of day-to-day -day obligations and requirements of it. Yeah. I, <laughs> uh, I don't know. I, I guess I, well, not, when I was on the beat, you know, I was getting home at, it, it is a grind of, that is a grind of a lifestyle. So mm -hmm. uh, you're getting home at one or two in the morning sometimes and, and, and my last year there, we had a newborn who was waking up at six in the morning. And you know, then you're going on the road for long trips and your wife is alone or with the, with the chill, you know, your kid or, or in some writer's case, multiple kids. So it is a, it's a grind of a lifestyle. And it is, uh, you know, that job paid fairly, but you're not getting rich off this either in most cases. So it really is a, uh, <laughs> it, you are getting to cover a child's game, which is fun, really. Uh, in some ways, it doesn't feel like a job, but other ways, it's a huge, huge grind. Uh, I don't know, so I don't know if people understand that when they think about what their their local beat writers do. As far as what I do now, I uh, it's a lot of research. It's chasing some things that end up in dead ends, others that don't, and just all the phone calls or research that goes on into any piece, it can take weeks or months to put something together. Uh, it's not something that gets turned around quickly. Uh, and the editing process, every, uh, the fact checking, and uh, just to be behind the scenes stuff, it is, uh, <laughs> I, I would say 80% of what goes into your reporter notebook or your Google spreadsheet doesn't end up in a story. So it's kind of this accumulation uh, just grinding away at something and you hope to whittle it down into something really interesting but uh it's a lot of it it is uh you work within a team but it's also very solitary like i am um, especially in the year of covid you are on your own for, for a lot of time doing your own thing and uh you have to be a self-starter in a lot of ways or else it's mm -hmm. it's not gonna end well so yeah i think just things like that i don't know if people I mean, I don't know what people think or what they what they think goes on into how the sausage is made, but uh, you know, those are some things that struck me. I guess before I got into this, I didn't quite understand what what people did, how, how much of a grind it was.
For sure. And then finally, what's something that you now know about the nature of this job that you wish you knew back when you were, you know, walk back when you walked into that office at Ohio State to ask for your first byline job? Yeah, it's uh <laughs> It's, well, it's a special change because of Twitter and social media, but you are, uh, you're fair game to just have every, you know, rock thrown at you for whatever reason by, by people. And it's, and it's not a in-person encounter. So you are, you have to be pre- prepared for a lot of criticism and uh, not everything you write or say is going to be popular and you will more than, more than ever, uh, you will hear about it. Uh, so you have to have, you have to develop some, uh, and sometimes criticisms are very warranted too. Uh, you can make a mistake, or maybe you thought about something incorrectly, or uh, that sort of thing. So, but you have to you have to be able to have some. I think you grow a little thicker skin through experience, and you have to be able to. You're in the even if you're on a small beat or whatever it is, you are in the public microscope more than ever before. So, uh, yeah, it's something to consider and. I, you know, I didn't really think about that when I got into it, but uh, it's uh, <laughs> it's interesting sometimes to be in the Twitter sphere for sure and be in that arena. So uh, yeah, you have to be comfortable with criticism and you have to be able to learn from it as well. And that's, uh, that's I didn't understand that until I got into it. Yeah, it's a good answer, especially since the way things are trending, that is not something that is going to change. In fact, it's going to get worse as we go. Oh, yeah. So it's exciting. But Travis, thank you so much, my man. That was awesome. I really appreciate oh, you great. coming on and telling me all about your career through media. Um, yeah, thank you very much. It was great. Yeah, thanks, man. Yeah, I don't think a lot of us really talk about ourselves in that. <laughs> that, was, that, was a little, that was a little different. But uh, yeah, you got me to open up like, uh, uh, like a young Roy Firestone or something. All right. Thank you, Travis. And thank you, listener, as always, for tuning into the Big Leads Press Pass podcast. I am your host, Liam McEwen, signing off.